0: Hi, folks, this is Shakespeare, go with another edition of the Survival Podcast. It's always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is August 22nd, 2013. And this is episode 1192 of the Survival Podcast. It's a kind of a cool day today. Um, my kid never listens, but I'm going to say it anyway. Happy birthday, Matthew. It is my son's birthday today. He is now 24 years of age. And, uh, just want to say, uh, say that on the air. I don't do a lot of stuff like that and make things highly personal, but yeah, happy birthday, kiddo. Anyway, uh, today I got a special one for you. Uh, Mike Hagwood is going to be on talking about mixed species grass based dairy. Uh, which is an awesome subject, uh, with a kind of a flair from the Weston A. Price Foundation, because he's actually currently managing a farm called the P.A. Bowen Farmstead, which is actually run by Sally Fallon. Sally, um, who's going to be on TSP next week, by the way, is the uh, co founder of the Weston A. Price Foundation, along with nutritionist Mary G. Ennick. Uh, so it's really kind of a very cool thing that we've, uh, We've kind of gotten that far in with folks from Weston A. Price, and that kind of all started with our Women of Prepping series and one of the ladies that was on. It was a chapter uh, president or chapter director, whatever they call it. And I'm becoming more and more enamored with the work being done by the Weston A. Price Foundation, especially how much it seems to interlock with uh, a tremendous amount of what goes on with paleo nutrition concepts. Anyway, before I bring on Mike, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is the Berkey guy, Jeff Gleason. Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. Now, you know, Berkeys make great water filtration systems. I've got one. Every drop of water that goes in my body uh, goes through that filter. I, I, I'm just just—I'm being completely honest with you. And once I discovered the Berkey filter, that was it. I was hooked. I don't use the fluoride filters, the lower filters anymore, because the water I have comes out of the ground here, and it's not laced with fluoride from smokestacks in China like yours might be if you get it from the grid. That's really true, by the way. I'm not making it up. But, I mean, I think pretty much everybody knows Berkey makes an incredibly good product. But why get your Berkey from the Berkey guy? Why not get it from the non-Berkey guy at the next gun show you go to or something like that? Because he's the Berkey guy. Why on earth would you get your Berkey from the non-Berkey guy when you can get it from the Berkey guy? Seriously, though, Jeff is a maniac about customer service. He does a great job. He's one of the biggest Berkey dealers there is out there. Uh, Check him out today. His website is directive21.com. He's got a lot of other great stuff for your prepping needs, including Mountain House food. And he's got discounts for you on the Mountain House 24-7, 365 if you are a member of the Member Support Brigade. He's the only person I know that does that. not sure how he pulls it off, but he does. Next up today, uh, JM Bullion. You know, you can get great silver from me with TSP Mint and the work I'm doing with Coins for the Cause and the Mulligan Mint, and I hope you do. But if you want silver eagles, I don't do that. If you want pre-64 silver dimes or something like that, I don't do that. Uh, if you want you know, generic rounds, I, I don't do that. We do custom silver rounds, custom silver paradigms. So for the other stuff, man, J.M. Bullion was the best company I could find to bring you guys in the silver and gold industry. Oh, by the way, I don't really do gold either, so they have that. Check them out today, jmbullion.com. Uh, they've been doing business with my audience for a very long time. It's a great relationship, and it's nice. That the owner Michael, if I have any issues, I can get in touch with him, and that's what my requirement was. You know, I I did talk to them, like Monex and AppMax and some other people, and basically I said if I have a problem, you know, for a customer, who can I talk to? It's like we can talk to customer service. I'm like, well, that that doesn't hold water with me. That's not the kind of sponsor I'm looking for. And they're like, well, that's what we do. And I'm like, well, that's not what I do. Goodbye. Which I thought (laughs) the one marketing guy I think was kind of shocked when I told him that. But guys, it's serious, man. I if you look at all the companies that are my sponsors, um, they're small companies. They're the companies many of them that I started out with when when I was really small, and I could get bigger, you know, customers today as far as sponsors. But you know, could I guarantee the personal level of service? No. And were they here with me when I was nobody? No. Uh, People like J M Bullion and the Berkey guy, they're the people that stick with you. They stand by you, and they take care of your customers. That's what I'm looking for to a sponsor. That's why I keep my sponsorship rates where I do. So the smaller companies like JM and the Berkey Guy, Safe Castle, ReadyMade, all of these companies can continue to do business with you guys and with the Survival Podcast for many, many years. That's why we have so much loyalty and so little turnover in our sponsorships. Uh, next up, I want to remind you guys about the Walking to Freedom Forum. Uh, I've got quite a few moderators there now. I'm going to put out an announcement today on the Walking to Freedom Forum. I really need like an admin, like a person that wants to be like the administrator for the WTF forms, that wants to, to build it, to not just do admin functions, to like build it, to grow it, what have you. I see walking to freedom maybe six months to a year from now being something we can put a revenue stream into. I'm looking for someone now that would be interested in managing that site and building it up to that point and then at the point that that's ready to happen, would take part in a share of that revenue stream. I'm looking for one person, not a team, to do that. I'm looking for somebody that's serious about it, that believes in the Walking to Freedom mission, that wants to eat, live, and breathe it, at least on a part time basis, you know, for the next few months as we build that up. I can't give that forum enough attention to bring it to its full potential, I'm looking for someone that wants to do that. If you're interested, put WTF Admin in the subject line and email me at jack at com and tell me a little bit about your background, specifically your knowledge of SMF forums and what you feel the walking to freedom message is. And I'm going to try to find someone that I can partner with to make this into what it really can be. I um, also want to remind you guys, Patrick from MT Knives is releasing his stakeholder program. We've announced it on our blog. He's announced it on his site. Uh, if you're on the email list, you should get an email you know, not- notifying you of this. Um, but you should join the email list in case anything changes. Um, it's going to be Saturday. I want to look it up real quick to make sure I don't say it wrong. Saturday, August 24th, which is this weekend at 9 a.m. Central Time. There's only 100 stakeholder knives being sold. Uh, it's a really awesome program. The gist of it is is if you're lucky enough to get one of them, I think they're selling for 545 or $549. The knife itself acts as a stakeholder's position in MT Knives. And in the future, every time he does a limited edition knife, you have two choices. You can buy the next limited edition knife, and do whatever you want to with it. Or you can say, I don't want it, and you want it to be sold. If you buy it, you pay a wholesale price. If you sell it, it gets sold at a retail price. As a stakeholder, you get the difference. Uh, some people were wondering, like, if I filled out the form on Patrick's site, is my place held? No, you have to be ready to purchase 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, Saturday, August 24th. When the button goes live on the site, it's a free-for-all. It's the only way we know to be fair. Uh, we haven't really pushed it that hard. There's over 300 people on the mail list, though. I'm going to tell you why you should get on his email list, though, even if you're not going to buy a knife, or even if you're like, well, what what good does it do for me? I can just show up there. Only 100 people are going to get knives, and really it's like 97, something like that. He, there's a few he's holding back, or I think you know one's mine already, and I think one was promised to a friend uh, that wanted a certain number. Okay, so it's 97, 96, whatever, are going to be sold that morning, so they're going to sell fast. Not everybody that wants to do this and wants to partner with MT is going to get one. The program was designed that way to preserve the value of the membership. Okay, But many members are going to say on their second knife or their third knife, I don't, I don't want to buy this particular pattern. I have enough knives. Maybe I don't have the money right now. The first people that are going to get a crack at buying future knives when a member says, I want to sell my knife, are going to be people on that list. So it's great to be on that list whether or not you're actually going to buy a stakeholder knife on Saturday morning. But uh, this is a great program. Nobody's ever done anything like this in the, in the cutlery industry. I don't know of anybody that's ever done anything like this ever. Um, it's an awesome program. It's not a stock certificate. It's a stakeholders, uh, membership program that gives you certain privileges as a member. And, uh, it's just awesome. And I'm very proud that I was able to work with Patrick to do that. He's an incredible, incredible artisan knife maker, uh, that does incredible work. And, uh, please be part of it in one way or another. Uh, he's looking for some other ways that people that are like, well, I can't do the stakeholder thing, but I, I still want to help out. He's, considering doing a video on knife maintenance and sharpening and maybe selling that by instant download uh, or maybe doing some other things like that. So that's another reason to be on his list. If you just like the idea of what MT is doing and you don't have the funds to partake in the, the, the launch program, but you'd like to be a customer in one way or another and help get this American company launched and off the ground. Just uh, fill out the form on Patrick's website. I'll put a link in today's show notes, and I did a blog post updating uh, you guys on it yesterday. If you go to my blog, thesurvivalpodcast.com, scroll down a bit, you'll see Launch State Set for MT Knife Stakeholder Program and a video by me explaining everything. So that's it, man. It's ready to go. I've got a big announcement coming tomorrow um, about the website Brink of Freedom. I'll have Josiah Wallingford, who is uh, currently uh, partaking in an internship here at my homestead, I want to talk to you about it for about 10 minutes when we do the call-in show tomorrow. and uh, But now, though, what I want to do is I want to get into the main topic of today's show. And, again, I'm inter- interviewing today uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Hagwood, And uh, he is the manager at PA Bowen Farmstead, which is a mixed-species dairy operation. Again, run or uh Actually owned by Sally Fallon. Sally Fallon again, who will be on TSP next week, is a co- co-founder of the Weston A. Price Foundation. And, uh, look forward to having her on. But today we have Mr. Uh, Hagwood. And with that, hey, Mike, man, uh, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Jack, how you doing, buddy? Hey, man, I'm doing good. And I'm glad to have you on. We're here to talk about something we've actually never uh talked about before uh some stuff you're doing with uh, mixed species grass-based dairy which i think is very cool uh and and farming in general and 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 things like that but you know in your your bio you state you were not a farm boy you didn't grow up on the farm so to speak so could you just to kind of get people uh caught up with where you're at as we move forward with this tell folks how did you how did you become a farmer and what was kind of your background what did you do before you were uh, messing with animals every day
1: yeah, that's, uh, it, that's, it's been an interesting journey to get that way. Um, I grew up in rural, uh, southwest Iowa. And so there was all kinds of farming around, uh, around me. And I would always go to, you know, a friend's, uh, farm and help them castrate pigs or docktails or, you know, uh, wrestle with cattle or something like that. But I never really got into farming. And, uh, when I, when I graduated, it was, it was kind of like, no, I want to do something outside, so I thought I'd be a, a forest ranger or conservation officer. And I started talking to people that just graduated with a four-year degree and all this debt and uh, and asked them, hey, you know, what's it like to be a forest ranger? I suppose you get to go on tours, and people are asking me. They said, no, basically I clean up trash. Uh, we build a campsite um, and we never did anything accomplished, and I was like, oh wow, I need to really probably uh, stay in the private sector because they were saying you got to do all this stuff. So anyway, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go and and work, and and I really had a shallow outlook on life because one of my primary goals was to make a thousand dollars times my age. Wow, <laughs> these are <laughs> high goals. Yeah. And so as I as I continued on with this journey, um, I I actually started uh in lawn care. And I thought, oh okay, maybe we'll sell something here. Started in lawn care, became a partner with this lawn care company, and I put partner in air close because it was kinda like his business, but he made me think I was a partner. That dissolved very badly. Um, and I learned something. And that's what's really interesting about the the, the real world out here that you definitely learn something not going to learn about partnerships like that in school but you will learn them in real life and so from there i uh i actually met my wife um and we moved to pennsylvania and we were surrounded uh with a lot of uh, farms and stuff like that i went to school at penn state got an associate's degree in horticulture and uh and that's when I actually started to wake up. You know, the waking was starting. And what was really interesting about college for me was that it taught me how to learn. Uh, in in secondary school, it was always memorization attempts, memorization and set. And I was a goofball in school. I mean, I just was bored. Um, but when I started to challenge myself, and I think everybody should do this, is challenge yourself on learning something all the time and and i'm continuing to do that right now even after all these years of fun but from there we were kind of introduced to the amish lifestyle we were like wow <laughs> what is this and the awakening just continued from there after graduation i became a landscape designer in the kansas city missouri missouri metro area and i had then started realizing holy cow, landscaping, lawn care. It's about vanity. I mean, we're making lawns green, but how green can you make a lawn? And we're landscaping these houses. And what was really interesting, I was in the suburbs, and I'd pull up. We'd have to sit down in the, in the house because there was no furniture. And they'd say, what can I get for a landscape for 500 Because that's what my HO, uh, the, the housing organization there, says, I have to put in the front yard. I said, well, $500 will get you one tree. And they said, no, 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 really? I said, yeah, really. <laughs> and then
0: I was like, this is incredible. They, were so buying they the- weren't even doing it because they wanted to. Their HR oh. required that they spend at least $500 a year on their landscaping.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was insane. And what was really interesting, they had the Mercedes and a, uh, a Jeep Liberty out in, in, the, in the driveway. And the next lady that was coming in was the uh, blinds uh, for them. And they were buying blinds for $500 a window. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, we don't even have furniture in here. You've got the biggest house that you could be mortgaged. And, and I said, this is it. I said, we're, we're done. And so we moved back to the the uh, uh, the, uh, the midrush, uh, actually into Iowa. And I started a lawn care company, but this time I was like, let's try things a little bit different. Let's do um, integrated pest management. Let's manage the, the system and go from there. And also at this time, I had a son, I had a daughter, and diet started coming up. And the awakening on that actually started to really go from there. And what we started to do first, was on the diet aspect of it. We started to take artificial flavors, artificial colors, uh, preservatives out of the diet. And my wife's headaches from the time I met her until we started this new diet, they went away. So it was directly related to our diet. And the other thing is my my daughter, who we now call the canary in the coal mine for our family, her uh, mood swing leveled off. She was either angry all the time or she was happy, you know, for long periods of time. Hmm. But her mood swings really changed a lot. So we knew diet was something very, very important. We also were uh, questioning about education and schools from our background. And so we started to hang out with people that were homeschooling. And they really helped us, you know, because we were like, well, we don't have college degrees. We're not that smart. And they said, you don't have to be smart. You just have to be intelligent.
0: Let me ask you something that's kind of an aside while you're on that subject, because I've had the same experience hanging out with people that homeschool their children. Did you not immediately get taken with the behavior, and I mean in a positive way, of children that are homeschooled?
1: Oh, oh, my God. It was it was like, wait, 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 wait. These are not... Because I did some substitute bus school driving, too. And I was like, oh, man, the next generation of kids is insane. Yeah. And... But then I met these people, and the kids were well-behaved. They were well like They spoken. look you in the
0: eye. They shake your hand. They say, yeah. like, sir and ma'am. Uh, yeah. They're not – it's not It's not like this, like, throwback thing to the 50s where they're seen and not heard or something. They right, treat right, themselves right. like young adults.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it no exactly, adult.
0: just when you said that, I mean, I, I'm becoming more and more enamored at the work being done with homeschooling. And please continue. Yeah. yeah. And so – so from the
1: homeschooling, then we started looking at farming and and stuff like that. We then eventually left uh, the uh, western part of Iowa and moved to the uh, eastern part of Iowa and started homestead. And I really wanted to you know grow our own food. We had met um, some friends at a at a uh, uh, farming, and they introduced us to uh, Sally Baumorell. Uh, she wrote a book called Nourishing Tradition, and she is actually the president of the Weston A. Price Foundation. You had a woman of, the uh, pre- women of Preppers, and she was a Weston A. Price chapter leader. Correct. And, and So we, we know a little bit about that. If you uh, affirm that, uh, uh, that podcast, you can get a little input on who Weston A. Price is um, and what the chapter leaders do. But Sally is the one that wrote the book. And and in this book, it actually changed our lives because it actually introduced us to a whole new uh, paradigm of farming. Because I, I was fed up with conventional farming. And in fact, conventional farming, I like to nickname as the uh, uh, forest jump Farming because these farmers are out here, you well, I guess stupid is, is stupid does. And, you know, <laughs> Mama says that woman's like a box of chocolates—you never know what you're going to get, which is completely bumped. If you if you're farming with nature, you know exactly what you're in for. And, and you, if you if you're
0: farming without nature, you know exactly what you're in for too. It's just not a good thing, right? I mean, That's right? Exactly.
1: So do you want to work with her or against her? Because if you go against, I don't care what woman you go against, the woman you lose.
0: Well, and so, I'll, I'll uh, tell you what. I ain't met a person yet that whooped Mother Nature's ass. It just doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> and every once she right. sends us a reminder in the form of like an earthquake or a tornado or something. Or yeah. a you're, I, drought. I, I think it's important for people to get that. The next time you realize that you're on the, the wrong end of that fight, think about one little tornado. Not an F5, just a little F1. And that's yeah. fighting, that kind of force. It doesn't work very well, does it? No. No, it does not.
1: And and that's what I learned very quickly is that why you guys, what is this war against weeds and war against bugs and war against mother nature? And it's like really, she's been around a long time. She's going to be around for a, a even longer time than we'll ever be around. And, uh, and it would be much better to play with the game instead of against the game. And so, so we really started looking at, at different aspects of farming. We, we got introduced to the Joe Salatin, uh, model and we started doing that on our homesteading. We had a couple of Dexter cows. We had three or four Katak sheep. We had a couple of dozen chickens. Uh, we had a big garden. The, the unfortunate thing was is I was working in a factory while, uh, Barb, my wife and the two kids were actually running the farm. So I would get there and do the grunt work, and they would get the homestead, and this was great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, and, and really, that was probably um, the, the one of the happiest times in our lives. I know my wife was just tickled. I mean, it was hard work, but it was meaningful work, and and so we continued on with that. And um, the factory was driving the nuts. And in your podcast yesterday, you you talked about how you know you may have to just. Quit your job. if It's driving
0: you nuts. You might, get, get if, if it's legitimately injuring your health. Yeah, it, yeah. it's not worth it. And there was like, you know, I, I was at a point where I was an owner in three different companies at the same time, and I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to be a 50 year old with an exploded heart, <laughs> and, and and this is not this is not worth it. And no. I, I mean I'm telling you, when you walk away from anything from a factory job to uh a C level uh position in a corporation, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Everybody around you thinks you're crazy, but I mean yeah, yeah. you know, what would you pay to have, have your heart put back in if it blew out of your chest?
1: Well I, I kept duct I kept duct tape in my head so that if it did explode, <laughs> then you know, I'd have all the pieces to put back together. You know? Yeah. It just it was insane.
0: So what
1: I, I told my wife, I said, if we're going to do this farming thing, let's do it right. Let's go intern. Let's take the whole family and let's get, get this thing done right. So we then interned on several farms. Uh, most of them, because we were really, um, really wanting to be dairy. Uh, that was, we knew that that was the heart and soul of the farm because you, you had, you had instant milk. You could, you had so many different things you could do with it. Um, if you didn't do anything with it, you could feed the other animals. It was it was just a really good all-around uh, uh, product to have on the farm. And so we went and interned on several different farms, and uh, we ran our own farm. We eventually rented a farm, and then we ended up being the uh, Dukes of Hazard of raw milk in the Midwest. Uh, <laughs> what I mean that is that we, we used to bootleg milk into the Omaha, <laughs> Nebraska area. And, you know, the only the only disappointing thing that, that was about being the Duke to Hazard, I could never get my wife to wear the
0: Davy Duke, you know, one. Duke, <laughs> <laughs> She probably wouldn't let you jump the creek in front of Roscoe either, so. That's
1: right. No, no. There was no creek jump in But, but I
0: mean, explain for people that may not be aware of, the, of you know, what I call the war on raw milk, what, what, why would somebody have to bootleg milk? I mean, isn't milk just, you know, milk?
1: Yeah, and that's what if you talk to dietitians, you know, milk is milk. There's no difference between raw milk and and pasteurized milk, uh, except that pasteurized milk is is so much better for you because it doesn't have, you know, the potential for pathogens and, and all this death and destruction and and just the world will end if you drink raw milk. Well, um, in the pre-1950, raw milk was a cancer treatment pre-1950s, uh, raw
0: milk was milk. Yeah, it was milk. <laughs> I mean, exactly. there was no such, if you would have said to somebody in 1935, I'd like some raw yeah. milk, they would have said, What's well, that? you don't took that stuff anyway, dude. What are you talking about?
1: Exactly. And so the last 15 years, um, you know, we obviously have changed because milk is bad for no, us. No, that's not the point. But raw milk, based on, you know, the health departments, and I think, you know, uh, big ag, just not like raw milk. Because they know that if the truth gets out about raw milk and how it is good for you, their, their business is done.
0: Sure it is. And it, and did, did you see can. a business come back that's been extinct since really the 50s, but definitely the 70s? The milkman might even return.
1: Uh, yeah, sure oh. And that was interesting because when I was, oh gosh, I want to say, you know, pre-teen, we actually had a milkman deliver milk to our house. Um and, and I may be dating myself, but, uh, but he was like 75 years old. And You don't look like do a baby. No. <laughs> <laughs> there are days that I feel like it. So. <laughs>
0: See, that's but, saying uh, me because there's a lot of people that don't even understand that joke. Cause it's been so I long know. since there's been a milkman that nobody even knows what that means anymore. Uh, you're
1: right. You are right. um, I, what was it, the Danny yogurt guy delivers milk? I don't know. Anyway, there's, uh, <laughs> so, anyway, so the raw milk issue is, it was been really tedious, uh, especially in Iowa. Iowa really likes the regulation. It's almost, uh, as socialist as, uh, that's Maryland here where I'm at and uh, in the D.C. area. And it's just, you know, I, I went from the, the frying pan into the uh, into the fire when I moved out here to the East Coast to, to here. But, you know, I'm glad I'm around these people because there's people here that are aware. When I was in the Midwest, and that's one of the main reasons why we left the Midwest, was because it was so indoctrined with the conventional ag system that people were like, well, what do you mean? Uh, heirloom yes.
0: tomatoes.
1: You know, heirloom <laughs> tomatoes. Why is your tomato purple? You
0: yeah, know, yeah, yeah, purple. yeah. Oh, what the hell is that baby. tomato yellow for? And why do you got the purple carrot? <laughs> that's exactly right. Your your potatoes are bad. They're purple too. This, this, so. this here carrot seems to be missing its color. It's all white. <laughs> <laughs> A what? Right? I mean, it, it, you know, I, have you had this experience? Totally different, but. You go to a store, a grocery store, where people work at the grocery store, so you think they know what's in there. Get some produce, and you bring it up, and you got to tell a little gal behind the counter what the hell it is. (laughs) Try to find it so she can put the code in, and you're like, she's like, what is this? This is cilantro. Can I call it? I I think they cost the same. so Sure, go ahead. I don't think I'll be stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Please let me get out of here.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like, I'm going to the farmer's market next time. No more grocery stores. (laughs) I'll I'll see you when I need toilet paper, because that's about all you can handle, (laughs) (laughs) C-Hard. But but um,
0: people in, in like, Maryland, you've got all of this opposition from government, but yet are people there that are aware of the problem? Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, It was really interesting. About 18 months ago, we went to a protest on the ground of the FBA headquarters and um, and it was the the uh milk uh milk rangers or milk riders freedom riders that's what it was the milk freedom riders there was a bunch of ladies from Maryland and Virginia that were saying hey we want raw milk and are you going to arrest us if we go to Pennsylvania to get our raw milk and bring it back and the FDA got so much pressure from that that they actually came out and said no we're not going to you know arrest these uh soccer moms that want raw nails. We just don't want, you know, the uh farmer to bring it in. I'm like, really guys, you you see that the trend is going towards raw milk. It's the only milk uh product that has any growth in it. The only reason that the uh that that big ag has any milk cells at all is because they're putting banana flavoring and and strawberry flavoring in there and it's it's mandated that the schools have to buy this stuff. I mean, that's the only reason kids are drinking it. And then they sit down and try and pull this crap about putting aspartame in it and not labeling it to sweeten it so that people will drink it. I'm like, really, guys? I can I can raise sweet milk on grass with high minerals and lots of butterfat, and, and these kids will be perfectly fine. That I wonder sometimes if that's really what they want. as healthy kids. They don't
0: want healthy kids. They want conformist children. I mean, <laughs> and I, I think one thing that people should hear because I just learned this, so I know there's a lot of people that don't know it. Um, I practice a diet that it's kind of less than a price is, we, ish. We, we call it paleo. And right. some people in the paleo world are like dairy is evil, and some people in the paleo world are like dairy is fun. It's an animal product. And a lot of paleo people, the reason they believe it's evil is because they go off dairy and a lot of their problems go away, especially in conjunction with lactose intolerance. And then they try to go back on dairy after they clean up their life and they've gotten rid of all the rest of the crap and they have the problem again. And they can't do it. They have these problems again. Then they try raw milk and the problems don't come back. Well, well, I I can
1: give give you several examples when we would bootleg that milk into Omaha. We we actually had one lady. That um, it couldn't even open the jars. <laughs> what?
0: Well, this this is George Orwell. I mean, but well, anyway, before I continue. I just want to tell people what I learned was that there is an enzyme in raw milk that gets basically cooked out in the pasteurization process. And if that's in the milk, it breaks. It, it it'll helps your body break down the lactose. Therefore, you don't have problems with lactose intolerance. And as soon as you pasteurize it, you get rid of that enzyme, but you don't get rid of the lactose, and therefore, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all, a sudden, all these people can't handle milk. Well, if you couldn't handle milk as a human being, you'd be dead, uh, maybe not today, but in, in, in traditional genetics, because up until not too long ago, you either had breast milk or you had nothing, yep. right? So, exactly, it's, exactly. It's a human being would be intolerant to milk, but yet, right. have well, all these people with this problem, and as soon as they drink raw milk, the problem goes away. Exactly. Well, and, that, and that's the, the the
1: other aspect of it is the, the so-called pathogen. Uh, there's a, a dairy that does raw milk in stores in California, and he actually sent his milk in to have pathogens put into it to see what would happen. And there are anti-pathogens in milk that the pathogens never grew on his, his raw milk. But they put it also in the pasteurized milk. The pathogens flourished.
0: Of course and they did.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, it's like it's of a dead body. Let me put it in a completely different way. I'm sure you've seen goats, calves, little deers, all kinds of animals go up to their mom and nurse. Right off the bat, yeah. right? Have you ever it's seen, deep. like, a baby deer or a calf go up to its mama and start nursing and then, like, a, uh, and fall over and die? <laughs> nope. Can't say that. <laughs> I mean – you know, or a lady breastfeeder her baby, and the baby just like rolls over and dies. I mean, it's no. preposterous. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, and and that's the whole thing is that 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 we're again we're not thinking about the system that that got us to this point. I mean, we have demonized everything that's good for us, and 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 basically said everything that's bad for us is good for us. I mean, it's, it's this opposite notion, and I'm like, really, people look. Let's think this thing over. You know, raw milk is good for you if it's handled properly. Now you can't just go to a dirty, you know, dairy and and there's poop everywhere and all of that and think that this thing and they they've got them stored in the barn and you know the cows never get outside, and eat fresh grass and never get anything. No, no, I wouldn't drink that though. But this is part of why I'm I'm farming the way I am now is to to reconnect. What farming used to be that made healthy people that built this nation, to to the point that now we're declining in our health, declining in our nation, and our food supply could be directly relinked? I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I completely agree. So, as is, let's kind of try to get back on track here. So, as- okay, yeah. As, as you took this journey toward farming and, and started becoming a farmer, and I want to talk to you about what you're doing with Sally now, but before I do that, you bet. was there any real challenges besides having the bootleg milk um, or anything really important that you'd want to advise somebody considering going into farming to look out for or, or what have you? Yeah,
1: I, I you know, one of the things that I think is an advantage because I was three generations removed from the soil is what I tell it My dad didn't farm, his dad didn't farm, and his dad left the farm to uh go fight in a war. So I'm so far removed from the soil I didn't have any idea of you know what farming was and 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 you know that was a good thing though. I didn't have to unlearn all of the modern agricultural BS that's coming out of the colleges. And and it was easy for me to see with open eyes. Wait a minute. Conventional agriculture is a dying industry. I mean, you look at farmers that are averaging. They say they average over 55 years old now. I think if they took out alternative farmers, it would be way higher than that because the only young farmers that are getting into farming and being successful are alternative farmers. And and I consider myself one of those. And, And that age is, you know, 30 and under. You and I are old men in alternative farming
2: yeah Um, yeah
1: you know and 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 there's i mean my son's working on this farm with me my daughter's working with us on this farm they've been farming this way their whole life they they know that there is two different things there's a different a different way of doing things out there. and when you've got an industry that the average age of the people that are doing it are over 60 years old it's a dying industry it's not sustainable there's nobody coming into it. This thing's done. And 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 it just hasn't died yet. It's in the process of dying. and And that's what really I think was my benefit was that I was able to, because I wasn't told, well, this is the way dad did it or this is the way grandpa does it, and this is the way I learned it in school. I didn't have to unlearn that thing. I didn't have to break bad habits. I could start new habits based on what Solomon's saying, based on what the uh, Ulbrich method is, all of these things I could take in and say, hey, this makes sense.
0: Let let me say something real quick here, because you just had me have a flashback to a video I watched. And it, it, it shows how ingrained certain practices are that don't make any sense. So I was watching this video of a family that's made sorghum syrup. For generations on their farm in Tennessee, which is very homesteadish and very cool and coming back in vogue and all. But this is an example of a family you go, really? This is what you're doing? So they kill the sorghum to dry out the leaves and and the grain with chemical one day. Then they go out and cut it. They let it stand in the field for a day. And then they go out and they break the, the grain heads off the sorghum and leave it lay in the field to rot in the winter. And then they bring the sorghum in and and press it, and and the rest of what they do looks like the way you would make old-fashioned sorghum syrup, and it's all cool. I'm sure it it tastes good, and I could do without the – I think they use atrazine, honestly. Um, (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) Okay, but here's the thing. So they have their seed for next year on the end of the sorghum plant. And they're throwing it on the ground. Okay, well maybe it's a hybrid. It won't grow right. Fine. While they're making syrup, and they're you got this old school. I mean, this is old school. Yet they're doing this this modern stupidity at the same time. They got a mule pressing the canes. Yeah. In the Background is a whole bunch of chickens running around. Right. Yeah. And the chickens are confined in a run, and there's a whole bunch of sorghum grain laying out in the field. Yeah. And if nothing else, we could be feeding the the sorghum grain to the chickens, but yet we're throwing it on the ground. And you know that's because it's the way granddad did it.
1: Yeah. No, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And that's where we, we don't see the trees through the forest. It's, it, it, it's like, wait a minute here. Um, You know, and and that goes back to another thing that I heard, you know, there was a a little girl that asked her mom, they were making uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas, uh, Christmas ham. And um, the mom would get the ham out and she'd cut the two ends off. And the little girl goes, Mom, why do you do that? She goes, well, I don't know. Grandma always did that. And so the little girl goes and asks Grandma, Grandma, why did you cut the ends off the ham? She goes, I don't know, but your great-grandma did. So she went up there and she asked great-grandma, she said, great-grandma. Grandma and mom are saying that they cut the ends off the ham. Why did you do that? She said, because it didn't fit in the pan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're a You know, uh, why ask why? There's a reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's not so you'll try Bud Dry either. It's, it, there's a reason. Right. so anyway, you, you've come this journey and now you're working with a, a gal named Sally Fallon. You've kind of mentioned her in passing a few times. Can you yes. tell people who is Sally and how did you come to know her?
1: Right. Sally, we, we, when we read her book, uh, we, we thought, oh, this is a diet. We need to do this. Um, it's traditional. It's, it, it's, it's, it's paleo plus, you know, it, soaking grains uh it's managing your system the way it was done before industrial ag came in and so we started eating this way. and the only reason you know one of the main reasons why we became farmers is because we couldn't find and this was back in 99 89 99 right at 2000 y2k stuff um i mean we were prepping before prepping was cool i mean it was and we didn't even know it was prepping at that time. We were just kind of like homesteading, or you know, just growing our own food. And we did it because we couldn't find anybody that would would um, that would raise their animals without soy. And we found out, wow, this soy is maybe not such a good thing. Yeah. And and she had some research that way, and and now it's she's being vindicated time and time again. So it was like. Okay, if we can't find it, we better grow it ourselves. And that's what we do. And that's one of the things. So when we started doing that, you know, people were going, oh, you got pre range chickens and, and eggs and, and broilers and oh, you got milk. Um, so could you do some for us? And so it, it almost morphed into a business. It was like, well, you no, know, if we sell a little bit, it pays for our food. And, you know, we're, we're eating for free. Um, it's just our labor that we're you know, doing that, managing it. And so we continued doing that. Well, we met, um, we became Weston A. Price chapter leaders, and we were helping people find these things and educating them and putting on classes. We met Sally at a couple conferences that we put on. She came out and spoke at, at some of these conferences for us. And uh, eventually, uh, come around uh, 2010, we uh, met her at a conference. It was a biodynamic conference that we were at up uh, in uh, just north of New York City. And we just moved to the East Coast. We were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. We were trying to manage a farm, help another farmer get started. It just wasn't working out right. Um, they weren't on the same page with us. And so we we saw at this conference and started up a conversation with her again. And we got back home. We said, "Let's send Sally a message." and she knows farmers all over the place. Let's see if she has anybody that can use a management team like us, and within 30 minutes of sending the email, she sends it back. She says, send me your resume. I didn't even know she was buying a farm or or starting something up. so that that started the the journey on this farm. We we came to talk to her, and she said, "Uh, I'm doing raw milk cheese. I need somebody to manage that. I also want pigs in the woods. I want uh, pasture poultry, and I want free-range eggs, and I want a a little store, and I want all of that. And I, you want? Know, why don't you guys manage the system? For us? she said, and let's go for it. And so we we did, and and uh, she she bought uh, two farms, put them together. The one farm wasn't ready for us, so she sent us to Canada to uh, intern on a farm of a friend that she knew in Canada. And this was in March. Um, March in Canada, especially in Ontario, was, you who know, the, I thought Iowa was rough. Ooh. Boy, I tell you what, the people, <laughs> they, they, they're tough out there. So anyway, we interned there for about a hundred days. We came down here, uh, it was July of 11, uh, that we came down here. Started putting the boots on the ground. We hit the ground running. Cause there was, all there was was dairy cows here, and she was making some cheese. And so we needed to bring pork in. She said, I want pork, I want chicken, I want beef, uh, and my cheese ready by October 1st in the store. The store wasn't even completed. So I had four months, my wife and I had four months to get all these products in the store grown on this farm. I said, well, okay, let's go get some pigs. So We've got pigs. Let's go get some pullets that are ready to lay. Got some pullets. Uh, let's, uh, you know, call out some of these Jersey cows. They're not very good. You know, we'll make some beef out of them. We actually got a month, uh, more than what she wanted. It was November 1st and we, uh, opened up the store and we had every one of those products. In there. And, um, almost every month after that, our sales have increased every month for the last two years. And, um, we've been doing some marketing at Farms Markets. Um, in fact, uh, and, and just this last, uh, just this last month, we took some of our cheese and entered it into the, uh, uh, uh American Cheese Society in Wisconsin. And our cheddar cheese, our Chesapeake cheddar cheese, won, won second place in farmstead cheese. And now I think we're on the map. Uh, we finally, I think, come to the place where people are like, oh, we just saw that you won an award. Can we get your cheese? And it's like, well, let's talk about it now so, <laughs> you know, we've now become the driver of the seat uh, the driver of the vehicle now instead of uh, the rider of trying to catch up with marketing and, and things like that but uh this last this last year uh or this season the rains have been beautiful out here the grass is going we're building organic matter we're rotational grazing the dairy cows we've got the ch- chickens and we've got the way from the cheese making that goes to the pig. So really integrating everything in a, in a multifaceted uh, way on this farm. Um, and again, the heart and soul of this farm is this dairy cow. Um, and then uh, the other thing that we've also been starting to do is, is do classes. Um, and I know you've been talking about doing a poultry class. We've done several poultry classes on, on this farm on how to, uh, how to raise them. How to butcher them and then how to cut them up. So we've we've had some uh, some really good success that way. My wife also does a uh, dairy culture class where she shows you how to make kefir, uh, cottage cheese, uh, ricotta, and and then uh, also uh, curd cheese. Uh, so there's there's a lot of things that we're doing on this farm to educate people, and that's really what barb and I's strength is is to try and Give people, and and you've said it many times, Jack, is there's so much demand out there. These people want to either learn this stuff or find this stuff. And once they find it, they want to know how it's done. You know, even in the permaculture, that's, we've been taking, uh, uh, Jeff Watton's online course, the design course, uh, to, again, increase our education, our awareness. And this permaculture stuff is, It fits right in line with what Bob and I have been doing for the last 13, 15 years. It it all comes together. Permaculture, I think, is an umbrella that agriculture is underneath. It doesn't matter what kind of agriculture you're doing. It fits in permaculture.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, one way Jeff's explained it is it's like permaculture's like a wardrobe, and there's all these different clothing in there. And then whenever you're trying to go somewhere, you dress to the occasion. Well, with permaculture, you take the techniques that are in the wardrobe, follow the ethics and the principles, and create the landscape and the system that gives you the output you're looking for. And you know, I I I dream of a day when people go permaculture. What's that? And, and, and <laughs> you go, know, it's everything out there. And they go, oh, it's 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 life, right? Yeah, that's, exactly. that's, that's, you know, that's what I I, I dream of that day because I think it makes sense. Um, you know, oh, no, it makes not, it makes more than sense. I mean, it's anybody doing farming and saying it's okay to be unsustainable, it's basically yeah. it's, it's okay to ensure that there will not be a farm here 100 years from now. If you uh, think it that it's okay to farm unsustainably, that's what you're saying. It's okay to take 1,000 acres or 10,000 acres of land and absolutely ensure that it will not be productive in 100 years. Amen. Praise the Lord. the, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Sing to the choir, baby. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, even with all the inputs you can dump on it, you're basically saying this piece of land will be fallow in, yeah. in 100 years or less. And that's acceptable. What? Exactly.
1: Well, and, and I'll give you an example. I, I work for the NRCS office in uh, southern Iowa and we've got a lot of rolling hills there. And one of the things that they just push and they supplement it is they, they want, uh, they want these terraces, bench terraces, big ass terraces. And I'm like, wait a minute. When I start looking at uh, permaculture, I'm like, oh, they're doing terraces. But the thing is in, in conventional farming, it's get the water off the land. In permaculture it's hold the water on the land and, 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 and let's hold the water so that it soaks in. In conventional agriculture it's get it to the tile, get it to the creek, get it to the river, get it to the bay or get it to you know the gulf and as fast as you can. And it's like really people, we're, we're drying things out. This desertification that is going on we're doing it to ourselves. Of course we are. Oh, my God. I mean, of course we are. I mean,
0: there's just, duh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What's your problem? What's your problem, dude? It's just a desert.
1: You know, right. we,
0: we can still grow more food on an acre than we could before, so we're good. I mean, that's that's the attitude. Um, and and, See, it, and it, it's a sad attitude.
1: It is. And you know what? I think, like you were saying, on the, on the, the, uh, the, the principles or, or those ethics, of, of that. I, I actually came up with four of my own before I even got into permaculture and really learned about those. But what my, my purpose was, was to build a resilient farm. And that's what I, how I try and manage this farm. And I think everybody should kind of take a look at a farm, not as sustainable, but resilient because the weather changes. Can you change with it? If you are sustainable doing the same thing every year and 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 the and what you're doing doesn't change with it. You're not resilient. Correct. So I've got I've got four principles that I look at for for resilience. And the first one is the social aspect of my farm. And I look at that as how does my farm affect the community in an economic way and in a just as a neighbor. And and as an example, I tell everybody is that you know I've got chickens and cows. Well, I've got cows out there. They eat grass. They digest grass. And guess what? They poop. (laughs) <laughs> poop is a good thing for me. I like poop. I'm glad it's out there. It helps my free livestock that's uh, sub terra firma. In other words, my microorganisms and my worms. But my neighbor who lives in their uh, McMansion may not be as excited about uh, manure as I am. Sure. So I've got to sit there. You know, I'm the new guy on the block. I've got to be a good neighbor. How do I take care of poop that attracts flies? and probably have some smells. Well, I run my chickens behind the cows in a mobile chicken coop. They decimate those cow pies looking for the fly larva. And not only that, they're doing the work of spreading that manure for me. So I'm, I'm eliminating things. So these are things that I look at as I manage this farm. How do I be a good neighbor? How is the social aspect of this farm being taken care of? The next thing I look at is the economics. I've got to be economically sustainable. I've got to make money on this farm. Um, If I don't make money, I'm going to end up just like the conventional farms that are out there and lose money and have to be subsidized. And you've talked about this, Jack, several times about, you know what? We shouldn't be afraid about making money. We don't need this. We don't need this attitude of, well, you know, I'll just give everything away. No, we can't do that anymore. This is a business. We need to treat it like a business. We need to think about it like a business. And it needs to be a business because what that does is it shows your neighbors and everybody that's in the neighborhood, especially in southern Maryland where I'm at, tobacco left. Okay, what are these farmers supposed to do? Well, I guess I'll do corn and beans now. Well, that's not sustainable. They just walk right into something that's not sustainable. They're just going to die that much faster. Think of alternative things. And so that's what we're looking at. If we can build an economic model here of diversity. And I also look at diversity in another way. And you talk about this, too, and everybody talks about this. On your 401k or your retirement plan, do you put everything into two stocks, like Microsoft and Apple?
0: It's, it's 401- funny. I was just going to say that. That's exactly what you're making me think of.
1: That's right. You've got to diversify your stock portfolio. And when I say stock, it's It's livestock. That's where the root word comes from. Your stock is your livestock. It's what you, you grow. It grows. It multiplies. I don't care if it's, if it's grain or if it's animals, they will multiply. They continue to grow. They bring you wealth. And, and that's actually how I got into farming originally was I read the Bible and I went, holy cow, what are these farmers? They're getting wealthy off the land. And it was like, yeah, this is, this is the natural system. This is a system that's out there that we, if we work with it, we can take advantage of it, and and become wealthy with it. Yeah, and
0: you know, you're bringing something else that makes me think of like so, and because I want to ask you kind of about the animals that you're running. We use the word in permaculture all the time, polyculture. So we don't plant a field of just corn. We might actually even in a permaculture farm. I have some people struggle with this. There might be a field that is primarily corn, but it will be a clumpy. Polyculture Because it will be surrounded with all these other polycultures, and they'll have these interactions, even if they're not a more typical Holzer-style polyculture, right? Right. So we might plant sorghum in a stand, because that's the best way to run sorghum. But it will be surrounded with other things, and there'll be a, a larger polyculture than just this one block of plantings. And we, Absolutely. we, we understand that well with plants, but I don't think people get that – Polycultures aren't just about plants. We can have polycultures of animals. Absolutely. And, like you talked about the the, the, uh, the chicken running behind the cow, spreading the manure and eating the flies. I don't have room for cattle here. I have right. geese. I have geese crapping all over the place. <laughs> when, I, when I put the geese into a managed grazing pattern,
1: that's right.
0: That's what I do three days behind the geese chickens, because yeah. by then the flies have come. Yeah. And the chickens eat the flies. It's well, yeah, that's. And i i call the i
1: call the geese the the uh, webbed cow because that's basically that's what he's call That's too. I call
0: them miniature cattle because they do this: they eat grass, they yeah. poop, and they mash it into the soil with their big ass feet. Right. <laughs> right. But could you talk kind of a, what kind of a, of an animal polyculture do you guys have going on at the farm as far as your different animals and how they interact? You betcha. And
1: that kind of leads into that third model of the environment because I've got to be looking at how they affect the environment. You know, I've got the cows out of water. I don't want them running around in the streams because, you know, we've got this little bay to the the east of us that everybody is hypersensitive about. Is oh, farmers are polluting the bay. And it's like, no, I'm not. I'm I'm actually trapping water because I'm rotationally grazing with Jersey cows. And I move them twice a day. Uh, I'm moving them constantly. But the same, same thing is happening is I'm moving the chickens twice a, or once a day behind those cows. Uh, and those are the layers. Then we also have the, um, broilers and you have a lot of discussion about broilers, what type of breed you should use and things like that. We're using the cornish rock crop. Okay. Um, and and the only reason we're doing that is because of our market. They're used to the double breasted. Um, I'm, I'm not completely um, a fan of Cornish Rock Cross. It's just that's the market we have, and so I have to, you know, price them at a at a at a, at a rate that I can compensate the ones that just try and die that first week, uh, or when we get them out on pasture, they just, you know, the thing that's different about what we're doing there is that we don't use soy in our grain mix either. We use sorghum as a corn replacer. And the reason we use sorghum as a corn replacer is it's not genetically modified. It cannot be contaminated like corn can be. So we use sorghum as the corn replacer. We use field peas um, as the protein uh, additive that we use. And we also, especially for the chickens, the layers, and the boilers, we'll use fish meal to bring that protein level up. And then we'll use a small grain. Uh, we'll use oats barley. I was using wheat, but this scare that happened uh, uh, last month about GMO wheat escaping into Oregon that came from Colorado, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to eliminate it from the diet and not even going to mess with it. I've got uh, other options that I'm using. So I've got a three-way mix, basically, that, that the chickens get, that the uh, pigs get. And the pigs are out in the woods. They get moved every two weeks. Um, and we do feral to finish. In other words, that we have uh, about seven moms on here. We've got one boar, and we uh, actually hatch the uh, pigs here on the on the on the on the farm. And I say hatch because I'm making a joke, but we have uh, piglets in it at every month almost. And so we're raising those piglets. They're getting way from the cheese making that comes from the milk from the cows that the chickens are spreading the manure, and then we're fertilizing the, the soils with the chicken tractors. So everything environmentally is, is connected. The last principle that I manage with, and I wish it was in permaculture, I think it's there, but nobody really talks about it, is the spiritual aspect of farming. And I don't mean a religious experience, although it could happen. But the, the spiritual aspect is that connectedness between you and your food, where your food comes from, how it was raised. You know, a cow that's in a confinement or a chicken that's in a confinement or a pig that's in confinement that sits above its manure all day long, you know, breathing in that. What kind of lifestyle does it have? You know, and and I tell the people on the tours that we have, we have tours every Saturday morning here on the farm, and I tell people on the tours, I said, if we put people – into the conditions that we raise our animals, we would be considered worse than not. Oh, sure. It, I mean it's it's insane that we're putting these animals. So there's no respect. And I think that's where I talk about that the spiritual aspect is actually a respect for the animals and knowing that they have to sacrifice their lives for us to maintain our own. So that's where I talk about those, the spiritual aspect. But those are the four things. Those are like a chair, if they're out of balance. That chair tips over. And that's what I think builds up is where you farm. You have that, again, the polyculture, like you're talking about, multi-species that are on the farm. And then you also start looking at how does the environment respond to what you're doing? I've got more amphibians, I've got more reptiles, I've got more butterflies. In the last two years, we've brought bees onto the farm, which I think bring that spiritual aspect to the farm. That, that all of these things are connected to give you a holistic view of the farm that's actually alive and that's going to give life.
0: Yeah. I think the reason you don't hear a lot about spiritualism in permaculture is that Mollison and then kind of his heir apparent, Lawton, have made a really conscious effort to keep that out because there's a whole segment of the permaculture community that's already trying to turn it into like a drain bro hippie religion. Yeah. and they just don't want to see it go down the things of, you no know, somebody's going to pray over the corn and it grows taller or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And 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 it, it's also, I think, out of a respect for individuals because yes. spiritualism yeah. is highly personal. And yeah. I consider myself a, a quite spiritual person, but I, I, I would imagine by what you've said today, we probably have some differencing views on the religious aspects of spiritualism. But what I see is kind of one, like you said, it's a respect for all life, and then yeah. the other side of it is it's an understanding of energy.
1: Yes. All energy, energy is very and very important. These these animals are putting off this energy all the time. They're taking in energy all the time. You know, I I I look at that everything as a vibration. Everything correct is, is, and if you change that vibration, is it going to match? Is, is, you know, that's absolutely, Jack. You're absolutely right there.
0: And that's where I was going. That it is about an it's about an energetic relationship, and it's also about what I call I, I call it karma, but I almost don't like the word because it's got too much religious baggage on it. But yep. every action that it affects energy we know is infinite and 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 never ends. Energy yep. uh, not get energy is matter and matter is energy, so they follow the same rules. And, and you can't create or destroy matter. You can only change its form. And what we've learned about energy through physics is the same thing is true. So if I put out a negative energy through making my animals miserable and an animal laying in its own filth is miserable. They don't do it. Anymore. They don't want to. Then I've created a miserable energy that becomes part of that animal's health. It's exactly. body physical yeah. system, and if I then consume that animal's byproduct, in, in the form of like a milk or something, or their their flesh, I'm consuming what I've created, and I'm getting karmic return, and right. I don't think people understand that enough, but the, the ironic thing is, it's almost a discussion you don't have to have if you'll just put people back into touch with it, because if a person starts trying to raise their own animals, they would never do what Tyson would do! They would
1: exactly. never do.
0: Exactly. Dark ass room, burn it speak off when it's born, b- born. Why do I burn it speak off so it doesn't peck the eye out of the chicken next to it? Why is it, <laughs> it so we can fit enough of them in there? Well, wh- where does the chicken get sun? Oh, it doesn't get sun. They, grow, they 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 get sunburned because their feathers fall off, so we keep it dark. Well, what about right. the ones that, oh, the other ones just walk on top of them. I mean, they be like, I'm oh, not doing really. But then they'll go down to the store and buy Tyson or Purdue and eat chicken that was grown that way, and it's It's karmic complicity, right? So if I see somebody trying to kill you, and I don't make a phone call, I don't try to stop them, I don't do anything at all, I might not be as guilty as the person that shot you, but I hold guilt for your murder. And for the lack of justice, when you eat Purdue chicken, you're complicitly complying with the system that treats these animals this way.
1: You're exactly right. And this is where I talk about that forced-dump attitude.
0: Yeah, and most people that will eat that chicken would never actually treat an animal that way.
1: No, you're absolutely right. And they, and they don't know, they, they sit there and go, well, I don't have a choice. Like, yes, you do. And now you're just being ignorant of of the, the, the choices that you're making. There, there are choices. Support the ones that, that are the right choices. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So what do you see as kind of the future... Uh, of of this uh, this farm that you're working in the future of this industry.
1: Well, I, I you know it, it goes back to like you're saying with the permaculture. This alternative of agriculture is is still in its infancy stages. Even though Joe Salatin's been doing this thing for 20 years uh, or 15 years, whatever, this thing's still in its infancy. There are so many people that are just now becoming aware of this, and and I think we're on the tipping point. This, we are not going to go back. Um, you know, I, I can't go back unless the government sits there and came in there and they're trying taking they feral pigs away. You know, they're trying to you know make sure them chickens get back in the building. I keep hearing about the legislature's trying to do these things. The FDA wants to save us from ourselves. They, yeah. It's, you know, that's the only way I think that this is going to get turned around can go backwards back to conventional industrial agriculture is if we're forced to do it by a gun. Um, but this thing's on this thing's on a downhill, the snowball's getting bigger, alternative agriculture is here to stay. And I think people need to realize that they have a part in this that that you know, like you're saying, if you want to buy Tyson, that's fine. That means that you don't mind animals being destroyed this way. Uh, but if you want to support farmers, go and visit those farmers. Ask questions. Ask them what, you know, how they're raising their animals. You know, one of the things that we, we also look at it is the poor on these animals. And I don't know if you're familiar with those or not at all, but it's, it's a, it's a practice, even organic, uh, standards of what you do is that you put insecticides on the backs of cows and animals and horses. To keep the parasites and the flies off of them. So, you know, it, I keep looking at that not only are we doing this in our health industry, it's treating symptoms, but we're doing the same thing here in the food system and, and in yeah. the agriculture. We're, all we're doing is treating symptoms. I don't, I don't consider any plant in my pastures a weed. They're herbaceous herbs. They have a purpose that they're there. It may be to change the soil. It may be to bring minerals up. My cows may not eat it. I don't care. It's been, it's put there for a reason. It's changing the the flora and fauna of my pastures to improve it. It's not there to damage it. it the plants don't kill or damage themselves. They actually are trying to change the system to balance it back out. So I don't I don't use the word weed. It's not in my lexicon anymore. Um, it, it's there for a reason. If I've got thistle growing, it's because I did something wrong. I either grazed too short or um, the, the, the hay feeder was there too long when it was wet and mucky. Guess what? It's as you observe nature, it will tell you what you've done
0: wrong. And don't do it again.
1: That's yeah. what you
0: learn yeah, and if you had geese, you wouldn't have thistle anyway. They ate that first. <laughs> yeah, right. I had somebody asking me about that, and I'm like, you know, we didn't we didn't have a lot of the uh, the typical thistle here, but uh, you know, a member of the thistle family is that uh, wild lettuce, prickly lettuce, oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, and yep. that is like one of, considered one of the most noxious invasive leaves in in the state of Texas. Everybody fights it. If you see it on the highway media. Yep. You can't kill it. It grows everywhere. My geese, literally, when I let them out of their confinement and let them free range, were running from one clump to the other. They'd go right <laughs> the grass and they would just eat it to the ground. And they I, and I, I liked actually, I, all of a sudden I started like, ha, like kind of having it because it's like, well, they like that and they're growing yeah. fast the and all. Yep. And, and I'm like, I don't, I, I was, I was almost like thinking about fencing an area off to protect it from them so that there would be a reserve for them to eat. But it's starting to progress into other productive species. But that's an example of, like, it's not really the problem you think it is. Or, like, you were talking about putting insecticides on the back of a cow. One of the worst animals in the world to deal with parasites is sheep. They get wet, especially northeast where you are. They get fly strikes with the maggots in them. Ben Falk up in Vermont had these sheep. Never had a pest problem. Always ran chicken, broiler chickens and electro fence with his sheep not one behind the other in a paddock together.
2: Right, right. Never right.
0: had a fly strike. For some yep. reason, he had a need to separate them for a couple weeks. I get up there like right after this happened. He has a sheep go down with fly strike. We're there trying to shear this sheep. It's got a you know million maggots in it, and yeah. it, we put the, and the, some of the other sheep were just starting to get the problem. Put the birds back in with the sheep, and I've got pictures of the birds climbing up on the sheep's backs eating the the the, the fly. <laughs> Okay, so instead of putting a pesticide on the sheep, I get the sheep yield, whether it's wool or meat, and right. I get the chicken yield, and yep. I don't have to use pesticides. Right. And please explain to me how putting poison on my sheep is a better solution for me, the mm-hmm. farmer. And the answer yeah. is you can't do it. Right. It's Thank not that the problems are, are so difficult that we can't overcome them with anything but a chemical we become lazy and complacent and we're not willing to think enough to solve right. our problems as a society
1: yeah yeah again it's that poor scum attitude well that sheep with problems i better display something you know yeah. and that's 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 exactly the, the the whole system that i look at is that you know nature has a solution every time every time i think mean, jeff talks about that also there's a solution every time. And all we have to do is observe it and be aware and actually just get in connection with that and, and then start asking questions. You know, I was kicked out of a number of churches because I started questioning, you know, what they were doing. It's like, no, no, you don't question us. Wait a minute here. I've got a question that <laughs> this doesn't make sense to me. So, you know, I, I question everything. And you know, and I, I you know, I I like I said, I read the Bible and one of the things that I read in the Bible was that uh that was very interesting to me was that 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 Satan that's all he did was question God, the authority. And that's where I was like, Oh, wait a minute here, guys, we, we're questioning this is something we have to do. What are the answers that you're getting from your authority? Do they make sense to you? Is the authority really the one you want to listen to? And that's the example I look at. Um, you know,
0: I don't want to yeah, say. If, this, if it's your Almighty Creator, you may want to submit to His authority. Everybody else, maybe we should ask a question or two first.
1: Exactly, exactly. That's all I'm. That's all I'm saying. Just ask a question or several, and yeah. and, then, and then you know what? You're going to get answers, and you'll know if those answers are right. All you have to do is, is tap into your inner self. And you will know, uh, if, uh, if, if you're getting BS or, and I, I like to say instead of BS, I like to say male bovine excrement. So uh, that, that gets people to think, what is that? Male
0: bovine, that would be bullshit, folks. Um, anyway, um, it's been a great interview, man. I want to kind of wrap up now. I do want to, uh, I'll even let you announce it. I'm going to have, uh, 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 Sally on, on the air next week, right? I believe
1: so. Yeah, you're going to be interviewing her next week, and uh, I'm hoping she'll tell you a little bit more about the farm, her background, and then uh, I didn't touch on the cheeses at all because she and my wife are the cheesemakers. I make the milk, I make the grass, and they take care of the cheese. Um, it, I'm going to have
0: to get you guys to ship me some cheese down here to Texas, one way or another, because my oh, wife okay. is if she was a, if she was a football fan, she'd be a Packers fan just because of the cheese. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well like i said our blue cheese is, is really interesting our blue cheese because oh, we have the geez. jersey cow yeah. is so high in butterfat and it's so creamy and and the cultures that the, that barb and, and sally use really bring the nuttiness out but like the the fall is our best cheese um we have to age it 60 days um and sally's going to talk to you about a lot of these things so i don't want to really uh and, and she'll talk to you about how she got started in the farm and, and why she did it and things like that but yeah sally is amazing I, I hate to call her a boss i really consider her a partner because she's not one that puts a thumb on you she doesn't micromanage you and uh the, the other thing is uh, i like to tell people she gives you enough rope to either hang yourself or get something done uh, yeah. And so she she dishes it out then. She says, You want more responsibility? Here it is. Um, so I really consider her more of a, a partner than I do a boss. Um, and and she's very level headed and just a, a fantastic lady. Um, and uh and can you know, I'm very blessed to be here. I, I really am. And I've learned a ton from managing a farm like this, especially we've only been in operation for two years, and um, there have been just tremendous growing pain uh, but you're going to have that in any form you're going to have that yeah. when you start homesteading you're going to be overwhelmed and I and, and and you're that's one thing that you really helped uh yesterday with your podcast was uh was also telling you know telling people no just start prepping this way There's your four and your six basic things you need to do just do that yeah. and that's what I tell people when we you know, we'll meet people that are just getting into the paleo diet or just getting into the GAPS diet or just getting into the NT diet. I just tell them, do one thing. Just do one thing today, do it well, get comfortable with it, and then maybe next week, start something new. Just ease into it. We got plenty of time. Everybody's very, very anxious right now, and I understand that. I'm anxious also, but... We just need to do these things a little bit at a time. And you know one of the other things, I just got to touch on this, Jack, this is one of the most important things that that I've noticed over the years that we've been working with people and farming and food and everything. If one spouse is taking this thing and trying to shove it down the family's throat, it ain't gonna work. And I don't care if it's homesteading, if it's farming, if it's prepping, or anything, and you've talked about this, you've asked these prepping ladies about this too, is you've got to let these people come at their own speed. You've got to show them by the way you do these things. Um, and when you start changing your diet, or you start changing the way you raise your animals, or you start, uh, start doing some prepping, do it a little bit at a time, let these people see what you're doing, and let them come with you. I have seen marriages Damn near destroy, because she's going. We're going all raw milk. We're going to get meat from them. We're going to do this, and you're not going to have potato chips anymore. You're not going to eat chocolate anymore. <laughs> you're not going to. And 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 the families just go and destroy themselves. So you know.
0: Yeah, it, 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 I, it, I completely it. agree. When I went paleo, I didn't even tell Dorothy. Yeah. She'd be like, "You want potatoes with that?" I'm like, no. Right? You know, she's like, what are we cooking tonight, ribs? But I, I want, you know, I want a piece of bread. Fine, eat it. I, I just didn't say a word. And then, like, all of a sudden she's like, gee, when I hug you, my arms go all the way around you. What are you doing? I'm like, it's paleo. She's like, what's that? I'm like, I just eat meat and vegetables. She goes, oh, that's what you've been doing for a year. Yep. I never yeah, had a discussion yeah. about it. It wasn't worth it. Yeah, people yeah. take steps like this when they're ready. And just because yeah, you yeah. love them will not change that. And just because they love you will not change that. But yeah. there's one thing that always makes people step out into, outside of their comfort zone, the observation of someone else doing it first and being yeah. successful yeah. with it. And if you push it, no matter how successful it is, they'll never do it. They'll yeah, never don't do it. But if you just do it and shut your cornhole or your pie hole or your cow hole or whatever you're eating,
2: <laughs> right? right, or your
0: <laughs> hole or your your yogurt hole, whatever you want to call it, to get a, yeah. an understanding of, I mean, your mouth, and you'll just close that and do. All that's, of a sudden, people that's, are like, "Oh, that." What do you got going on, man? I've had people say to me sometimes, like when well, I kind of got all this energy from doing this, like I want to drink your blood. I'm like, well, it'd be better if you ate steak. Like, exactly. you and I'm like, let me show you, you know. But then, then it's it, it's it's a there. You want to, when you share ideas, you want very much for the person on the other end of that idea uh, uh, transfer to be pulling versus you pushing. Exactly. This is why the internet's so successful i don 't have to put up with all this crap i don't have to watch forty seven commercials before I find one talking about what I want on the television set you know you too have shiny abs or whatever it is I go I want shiny abs and I find just that and that's that's the that's the modus operandi that you have to be under to get people on board and i can't yeah. agree with you more about the spouse thing. your marriage is not worth destroying over telling your husband he can't eat potato chips if you want him to stop eating Potato chips, ladies, look good in your jeans. He'll be like, why well, do you look so good in them jeans? Because I eat this, right? <laughs> and by yeah, the way, I have where your ass lit last week, honey. Maybe you should eat this too, but get them at least into the receptive mode first, right? I mean, that's – right. and that's, that's – that's, that's, I don't care if it's libertarianism. I don't care if that's preparedness. I don't care what it is.
1: Yeah. When you're yeah.
0: living a better life, people want to do what you're doing. When you're telling them how to live, especially when you've just started – and you're still basically where they're at. You're like, why do I listen to you? You, you look just like me, or you're as miserable as I am. It right, takes a right. while, right? We're all on this journey together.
1: Yeah, and and that's exactly right. I mean, um one of the things that that when I was uh, you know a lot younger and a lot dumber, I you know I got into religion and became an evangelist, and and I found out I lost more friends being an evangelist than just being a uh, a show and teller. Um, yeah, I just well, you know and, and when you wait when people when you wait for people to ask the question, what makes you different? Yeah, then yeah. they go then they're listening yeah and, and and that's the thing. you know I always look at like you're saying shut shut the pie hole or the <laughs> the paleo hole or the empty <laughs> hole, whatever, <laughs> but shut that because it misses the brain, but ears and eyes go right to the brain.
2: There's two of those
1: also. And and if you do that, people are going to sit there and and listen and watch you. You know, when we were when we started doing this homesteading stuff back in Iowa, we had sheep running with our cows that had chickens out there in the pasture. I had neighbors driving by and they would damn near slam on the brake going Well she got stuff up. What's he got chickens? How's chickens doing up? He's got sheep with his cows. And his cows weren't there yesterday. They were somewhere else, and uh, you know. And, and then they would stop and sit there and go, hey, "What you doing, boy?" And I would sit there and go, "Hey, you know, I'm just doing this, that." And I even had one guy tell me that, "Oh, you can't just grass hang Angus cows. You'll have problems." He said, "I have to grain mine because I've got cows that I've got to pull calves all the time." I'm like, "You're graining your calves, and you have to." You have to – you're graining your cows and you have to pull the calves and you think grass-fed is not going to be better. Okay, got you, buddy. It's just, you know, they're not thinking about their logic that they – Like have you ever seen like
0: National that. Geographic? There's wildebeest out walking into <laughs> the and they just crap out a baby wildebeest. It gets up, they lick it off, and they go on about their way? That's right. That's you right. Know, I mean, really, it's just – it, 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 and it, it is that, it's that observation, that the, and then they'll tell you why you're wrong, even though – <laughs> and, and you notice you don't tell them why they're wrong. You just say, well, yeah, but look how this works. And then it's like that plants a seed, and then the mind – so you don't give them a full story. You give them a part of the yeah. story, and then the mind starts trying to finish the story. Right. The problem is, it's like it's like a bad Mad Lib where they you keep asking for a noun and they give you an adjective, like and, and they <laughs> trying to put the words in that they're used to using and the story won't finish. That's right. So then eventually they come back around, and even if they don't, if they have too much pride to ask you again because you've already told them and they've already told you it won't work, they go down another path. You know, right. and they pick and, up and some, it's- like a copy of the book How to Not Go Broke Ranching, which I think should be like. It should be an agricultural textbook. That you'd think that they'd want to teach you that with an hag degree, like how to not go broke ranching. But apparently, that's not important to people in universities. And 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 once they start getting on that path, like it just the thing is, none of this is really that revolutionary. <laughs> the, the, the fine tuning, right? So when you get to the level of an Alan Savory or a Greg Judy or a Joel Salatin. The fine-tuning is like cutting-edge. But yeah. the basic format that actually makes the whole system function is, gee, there's, there's all these animals. They're on the Serengeti. The lions try to eat them, so they stay together and move every day. Exactly. Hmm. I wonder if that would work here. Right. <laughs> yes, I wonder.
1: <laughs> well, and, and, and that's what I, I tell people on the tour. You know, they'll come up and, be, oh, you're so progressive. You really have got all these new ideas. I'm like, no, no, no. If anything, I'm regressive. I'm going back to the way these animals and, and humans interreacted as an agricultural system for m- millennia. I mean, we've been doing this, you know, agricultural thing for, you know, 6,000 years and it's just in the last hundred that we've been destroying it. You know, we well, will man, continue doing that.
0: I completely agree with you. For those that want to learn a little bit more about your farmstead out there, uh, can you tell people how to find it on online?
1: You betcha it's pa and, uh, and just go to the website and you can get there. We've got a Facebook, uh, we've got a little blog on, we've got a YouTube channel. That's actually my, uh, my daughter's been doing that, uh, taking care of a lot of that. She, uh, she's the youngest one on the farm, so I said, you're the IT person. Um, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you can if you can update my settings on my iPhone, you qualify for the IT person.
1: Exactly. It's like I don't have time to learn that stuff, and and uh, I'll learn it in a little bit, but I'll learn it pieces. But you're the one that it comes genetically built into you. Um, so no, check us out on on those websites. Um, and then, you know, we also are doing some consulting, Bob and I are. So if there's anybody that wants to do a farm like this or needs a homesteading or things like that, uh, we've got a website, that, or not a website, we're building all this. We're also getting ready to write a book about our life, which uh, that's a whole journey in itself. But, uh, but um, what I've got is an email address that if people want to get in contact with us and talk and ask questions, it's real life consulting at hotmail.com
0: okay and, and I'll and make sure I put, uh, I'll put that in the uh, show notes I'll put I'll spell it out so it doesn't get botted got that.
1: <sighs> and you know I, I, you know that's the, the one thing we really like to teach people because you know 15 years ago when we started this thing I mean we bought a we, we actually had an 85 year old guy give us an, a cream separator and he goes here you go because he knew that we were home state. and we went how do you work this thing and um, luckily the internet was around, we were able to download the instructions, but this stuff wasn't around 15 years ago I mean, a lot no. of this stuff we've had to learn to hard, harden off and I don't want to see people do that and that's why I think permaculture comes in really easy too, if they learn about permaculture, this thing's going to get easier and easier for them so it's Absolutely. So anyway Jack, I appreciate the time you've given me and i i you know, if we need to do this again, buddy, I'm, I'm ready to talk all day long with
0: you. Well, I, I think that it would be good if maybe you hung out uh, tomorrow when the show airs uh, on the blog a bit after it airs and, and, and look for some comments and questions from folks. Cause I'm sure there will be some, and if you answered that, that would be really helpful. And uh, if I get any questions from the audience that I think might be uh, beneficial that you take a look at based on, on what I've learned from you today, maybe I'll forward them your way. That would be great. Alright folks, and with that, this has been Jack for today along with Mike Hagwood helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if I they don't. Our food these days, you know it's on our
2: TVs Sometimes we forget we are what we eat I don't know the answer, it's like there's nothing I can do Can't pay. There's nobody up there cares.